Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There is no better group of plants for flower Hello and welcome to This Week in the Garden. I'm Peter Seabrook, here to help with some of your gardening quandaries. Today, I'm joined in the studio by a colleague of mine at The Sun, a man I've worked alongside for many years now. He's written over 40 books on the subject of gardening and I'm delighted to dip into his wealth of experience today. It's Steve Bradley. My thanks to Sutton Seeds of Torquay, sponsors of this podcast. Last weekend, well, especially on the Saturday, it was uh, overcast pretty well all day long for me in uh, Essex. And then we had a shower at night and a bit of sunshine come Sunday afternoon, which was just what the doctor ordered, I can tell you, as far as the new planting that we're doing at the Royal Horticultural Society Gardens at Hyde Hall. The plants really were pretty soft, and that high 30 degree centigrade temperature was a, a killer for stuff that has been brought from inside and planted out. So I have my fingers crossed that that gentle weekend will have uh, done those plants the world of good. It's certainly looking pretty colourful and we're getting some very favourable comments from visitors. Back home in a much-neglected garden, which I'm fighting to pull back into some sort of order, I have cut the first calibres of the year from underneath my Enviromesh-clad screen and it's beautifully clean. You know, no cabbage root fly, no cabbage white butterfly caterpillars. That environment has worked like a dream for me. It's similarly for garden peas, they were alongside the calabrese, and I'm picking those completely free of pea moth. It's a bit of a job to keep things watered, very dry in Essex, and I'm afraid that all of those crops that grow quite quickly, all the summer cropping vegetables, do need a really good soaking about uh, once a fortnight or so to try and keep that soil moisture level to a reasonable uh, degree. There's no shortage of news. One of the uh, more alarming is the arrival of uh, oak processionary moth being imported on oaks. It's a pretty nasty little creature. The caterpillar uh, releases hairs which can be really damaging to human beings. And the difficult thing is that uh, when oaks are imported, the eggs, the little clusters of eggs, are much too small to be seen. And uh, it's absolutely critical, in my view, that imported trees need to be kept for uh, a few months in controlled areas so that it can be seen whether they have this little cluster of eggs and the damaging caterpillar that emerges. I understand that... uh, Lord George Taylor in Westminster has agreed to do something about this and he needs to be quick. All we need 
is to make sure that oaks coming into this country are held in quarantine right the way through until the life cycle of the emerging caterpillar comes and they can be cleared. My congratulations go to Roger Parsons of Chichester, the sweet pea specialist, who at the Hampton Court Palace Flower Show was awarded the Christopher Brickell Medal for services to plant heritage. Roger, who started out in local authority parks departments, always wanted to be good at something, and he turned his love of sweet peas into a full-time occupation and now holds a unique world collection of sweet peas. What a great way to spend time. At the Hampton Court Festival, I also saw a new dark-leaved black currant. That could be quite useful. Uh, my black currants are getting a bit old and need replacing. And a black currant that you could plant in the shrub borders as an ornamental thing, which looks quite nice with its dark leaves and reddish stem. Tasty berries, I might add. I did manage to taste one. And then, of course, in the autumn, it goes really nice colour, yellow. Uh, so there's something which will be trial. Get one into the garden and give... Uh, a report on first-hand experience. Uh, I met at the Hampton Court Palace Flower Show Simon Crawford, known him for years, and, and he's the fellow who bred the earliest of uh, the bush tomatoes called Red Alert. It was named in a competition by a Sun Reader many years ago, but now he's updated his breeding and has got another very compact bush tomato, which is called Veranda. Fifteen years in the breeding. Boy, you need some patience, don't you? And he's also got blight-resistant cocktail crush and an early plum variety. Most of the plum varieties coming from Italy and the South Mediterranean can be quite late cropping, but Simon's managed to get one that uh, crops much earlier called Nagina, and that has some blight resistance. All these things keep coming. Boy, you've got to be on your toes to stay up to date with what's happening these days. Out in the garden, there's an absolute plague of pollen beetles. I've never seen anything like it. It's not just my garden. Uh, we were planting some hemerocallus up at Hyde Hall and the flowers were almost black with pollen beetles. They sort of increase in number dramatically on the crops of oilseed rape. And then when that goes over, they seem to come into our gardens in plagues. They're a blooming nuisance. They're in my sweet peas. And it means that you can't sensibly cut a bunch and give it to anybody because as soon as they get indoors, they all leave the flowers and fly to the windows. They're a real curse. I've got... a. Uh two or three rows of perennial scabious, lovely blue scabious, and they're full of pollen beetles. I'm not sure what I should do. But there are some really good crops coming on, but this is a time when you need to apply water. When potatoes just start to flower, and uh, also when the peas have set and the pods are beginning to swell, if you give them a good soaking at that stage, that's the time to increase the weight of crop. Bit of water at the right time. Very valuable. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, my interview guest today is uh, Steve, known by his friends as Brad, I think. Bradley. Uh, Steve, we've worked together for what must be 10 or more years oh, here. At 15, the 16, something like that, yeah. Oh, is it really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boy, yeah, they yeah. slip by. Yeah. And you work alongside somebody, but never really know what they've done and how life has treated them. You started in the nursery business, didn't you? Your family, actually. Yeah. Well, basically what happened was um, my mum got a, a casual job with a local nursery, not far from where we lived. And sometimes I used to go along. I was only about 12, something like that. And they offered me some work, summer work and this sort of thing. So by the time I was 14, I was doing things like budding roses and pricking out and stuff like that. Um, it's two brothers, the Carlson brothers. Um, they'd got no children of their own. And the elder one of the two said he tended to more or less adopt me. What speeded the process up quite a bit was the fact that he was also left-handed because quite often as lefties have a bit of trouble when we're following what somebody's showing as right-handed. Of course, I never had a problem like that, because just watching him, I just mirrored what he did, and um, it was fine, and I just carried on doing more and more. And then when it came round to close to leaving school, we'd got a, like, an awful lot of schools. I know this is going to be controversial, but we'd got a careers teacher who was pretty well clueless. <laughs> uh, um, you know, well, it, it was Lincoln... Heavy engineering was the order of the day, and so everybody was expected to do an apprenticeship or become a machinist if you didn't make it into the apprenticeship scheme, go to the technical college and um, spend your life in the factory. And, of course, at that time, once you got in, it was pretty well jobs for life. And I used to see um, what Sid referred to as the dirty workmen. A lot of them used to live locally, so they used to cycle to work. And, of course, the gates would open at 4.30 after the siren had gone, and the floodgates opened. So it was one of those things where you went to school, the school gates closed, the factory gates opened, and that was your life, and I wasn't that keen on that. <laughs> I think uh, not. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the careers teacher, he said, oh, you're too bright to do gardening. So that made me bristle straight away, and I said, I'm not talking about gardening, I'm talking about horticulture and commercial horticulture. When you get your careers teacher say, what's that? You realise they can't give you much in the way of advice. And it was exactly the same with me. They yep. suggested I went into law. I mean, mm. goodness, that's the last thing I wanted to do. And so where did you go for a first job then? Um, well, I, basically I left school and then um, I started working for Colson Brothers, the two brothers. And then um, we had somebody come down from 
NAS. Do you remember them? The National Agricultural Advisory Service? Yes. Yeah. And um, he just said, had, had you considered, and there were two of us there, um, their um, nephew, Mike, had joined us. Um, he'd gone to catering college and couldn't hack it. I, don't, I think he found out a bit later than me that that career path wasn't for him. <laughs> um, and uh, the chap, uh, a chap called Mr. Preble, and he suggested to the Colson brothers that why didn't we go to the local ag college? Um, there weren't any full-time horticultural courses because Lincoln was a bit like Yorkshire, divided into ridings. Um, Lincolnshire was divided into three sub-counties, Holland, Kesteven and Lindsay. And um, there weren't enough horticultural students in any one given area to make up the cohort that they needed to make it a viable course. And this was City and Guilds, the old days, City and Guilds. And so what happened was they shared them. And so one week we went to Rhizome, all of us, and then the following week we went to Caythorpe, so that you're in two different sub-counties, um, depending on which week it was. Also, to make up the numbers, the first stage of City and Guilds was a two-year course, one day a week, and it was an, a rolling course, so it didn't matter really whether you started year two and then did year one, or did year one and year two. So often you were working with, or you were studying with people that were second years, even though it was year one. Basically, that was done to make up the numbers so they'd got a viable course. Which is surprising, really, when you think of the horticultural uh, companies, market growers, in the Lincolnshire area. Yeah, yeah um, but when you think about it, you know, I mean, we were both up at Taylor's Bulbs recently. I think often that was seen as bordering on agriculture rather right. than horticulture. Because I think for many people you were still looking at what I would call the small holding, where, you know, people like the Land Settlement Association, where you got your eight acres, a greenhouse and a cottage to make a living from. What I call big-time horticulture um, at that stage was really seen as agriculture. Um, and it was only really in later years that you started to get the Coles of Leicester, the Johnsons of Wixley, people like that, where they started to... Probably Hilliers are already in existence and maybe not cuts, um, in existence in terms of doing it on a field scale, but it became more and more... You know, when you think with, say, Derby Brothers, you know, they used an old redundant airfield from the Second World War as their container unit. You know, it was things like that where it started to expand and rather than being what I call the Vale of Evesham or the um, Surrey sort of horticulture where it was eight acres. It started to expand. The more successful ones might buy their neighbours or whatever, or quite often they would move into East Anglia where mechanisation started to come in and nice flat fields, whereas you know, the Vale of Evesham and lots of parts of Surrey didn't really lend themselves to that. No, that's right. um, and also it was, if you like the birth of container growing and container gardening in terms of what had happened in the United States where they'd used old tin cans from an army base in, I think it was San Diego, and started growing plants in that. And, of course, that came about by accident because it was a nursery where there was a motorway going through and rather than trash all the plants, the guy dug them up, wedged them into tins and sold them at the side of the road and that was the birth of a container gardening or container growing but also 
what became the garden centre industry. And you were at the beginning of all of that then? To a certain extent, yes. Um, I mean, you know, at 15, 16, you weren't really aware that was happening. You knew there were changes. And, of course, what speeded it up for me was that um, the Colson brothers, um, they also had a sister, and I met their sister, but I never met her husband. But one of their nieces was Margaret Scott. Really? Yes. There's a famous name. Exactly. And, of course, you know... I mean, she became the head of effort in the end. Um, Sadly, she's no longer with us. But, of course, um, she went off to Sutton Bonington. And she was the one that advised me to... Well, she said, you know, you really ought to go for a late entry to university. Um, I said, well, I quite fancy this NDH. Um, And, of course, that was the RHS NDH, as was. Now became the Master of Horticulture. And she said... I wouldn't do that. She said, I don't fancy that. I'd much sooner do a degree course. Well, because the NDH then was a really tough course, oh, yeah, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Well, I remember uh, John Sutton, who's still around. Um, he did a, a BSc in horticulture. And his wife was telling me once that soon after they got married, he said, I'm going to be a bit busy for the next year or 18 months. Because he wanted NDH as well as his BSc in um, well, I think his BSc was probably botany at that stage. I don't think there was a BSc in horticulture. And so, you know, I was influenced by all of these people. I did, I did the two-year sitting guilds course and thought, well, if I'm going to make a go of this, I really need to do some study in depth. There was nothing roundabout. Um, I started to write away. I got an offer from Hadlow. Um, I decided I didn't want to go down into Kent. And I left it and left it and left it. And in the end, I heard about this place down in Somerset called Cannington. And they were struggling to get the yums up for their commercial horticulture course, which is what I was interested in. So rather than go down to Kent, I finished up going even further afield, <laughs> down into Somerset. And I loved it. There are only ten on the course. Uh, we thoroughly enjoyed it, all of us. You know, it's, the amenity course is much bigger. And I don't think they got the close bond, you know, because once you get over about 15, you start to get them break into groups. Yes. Well, there weren't enough of us to do that, so we stuck together. And really, those colleagues you have, fellow students, can influence you tremendously, can't they? Oh, yeah. I mean, They come from different walks of life, bring different experiences. As far as I'm concerned, became lifetime friends. Well, some and some, but you see, a lot of them were local because we still had the system of um, research stations and experimental horticultural stations. And, of course, one of the most famous ones is Long Ashton. And I think about four of the guys on our course worked at Long Ashton. Right, yeah. And, of course, um, with Somerset being a, a rugby area, they were quite keen on that. Whereas I dropped lucky because I played a lot of football to a reasonable standard and nothing brilliant, but to a reasonable standard. Did NCH. And what really, I suppose was a life changer for me was the fact that because I'd been taught by a left-hander things like budding, grafting, and I enjoyed doing it, a chap called Stuart Brookfield, who died a couple of years back, um, he was the head of horticulture, and of course it was a small department, so we still did some teaching rather than just uh, shuffling paper, and he took us out for grafting, and he just said, oh, you've got a real knack for this, you've done some before. And of course there were a couple of left-handers in the group, and they couldn't quite follow what he was doing. So he said, will you show them how to do it? And then I finished up with a couple of the other courses. They picked out the left-handers, and I was just doing it. What I used to do was do a couple of grafts at normal speed, and then I would break it down into 
elements so that they could see how it was done stage by stage. And then I hit on things like, one of the things I'd been shown by Sid Colson was when you're sharpening your knife, the best way to find out if it's sharp, you know, and I know people like David Gilchrist, who, you know, he used to real butch and shave the hairs on his arms until it went wrong and um, he needed a couple of plasters, so that stopped. Um, But one of the things I was shown was that if you get a piece of softwood like willow or poplar, if your knife's not sharp enough, you get some of the fibres wrap around the blade. So you need to keep sharpening it until there are no fibres wrap around the blade. And that's how you know your knife is really sharp, sharp enough for grafting or budding. And um, I thought, well, I quite like this demonstration bit, you know. And at that stage, my ambition was probably to be a technician. I'd seen the technicians at these colleges doing all the practical stuff. And then one of the lecturers at um, Cannington, um, a chap called John Leather, and he said, you know, why don't you consider going to Pershaw and doing intermediate NDH, which is the only place that did the course at that time. And he sent away for me, and I, he got all the, the bump about Pershaw and this sort of thing. I was broke, like everybody else, um, and so I went back to Lincoln, and um, I thought, if I'm going to do NDH, I need a broader base. And so I got a job on a parks department in Lincoln. I'm here, in this for what I can learn, and then I'm off again, and I did about 18 months there, and then went on to Pershaw. So then to Pershaw? Yeah, on to Pershaw um, to do the what they call the special course, which was preparation for the intermediate NDH. And that scared the living daylights out of me, because when we got there, they told us the figures for the previous year, because you could do intermediate just by entering the exam. And I, I can never remember which way round it was. It was either... 127 people took it that year and 33 passed, or 133 took it and 27 passed. And I just thought, I'm going to get this, I don't like those odds. Yeah. And of the ten of us, I think six got through, and then while I was there, I was encouraged to go further, and so I finished up going to Rittle. But while I was at Pershaw, there was a chap called Keith Mickleborough who ran the nursery department, and the college ran a commercial nursery alongside the education side of it. And, of course, there were you know, people like Blake Down and lots of other big concerns in the area, uh, Sydenham Knockcuts, as they were then. They didn't seem to like the idea of what they saw as cheap labour competing with them. And, you know, I can see their point of view, although we didn't do a lot of the commercial side of it on the commercial nursery. But Keith Micklebrough said... I said, how do you get around this, Keith? Um, Because that was unusual. There, they were always on first-name terms with the students. And he said, well, he said, it's easy when you think about it. He'd worked in Norfolk for the Anglia group before he'd um, got NDH and got into lecturing. He said, what I did was um, the plants that we produce, he said, every year I send out a list to the local nurseries and see if they want to buy them at cost. He said, sometimes they'll pick something up. He said, especially the more choice stuff. He said, other times they won't. And so we sell to landscapers in the area and people like that. He said, but they always get first refusal, which means that they don't really have a leg to stand on when they want to (laughs) complain about we're competing with them, which I thought was quite a good ploy. It was indeed. (laughs) Steve, it's great chatting to you today. 
and perhaps we can have another little session when we take you on uh, to NDH finals and quite a job in lecturing at several other colleges. Oh, there's a lot more to go yet, believe me. (laughs) Thanks, Steve. You're welcome. What's on? Well, the National Sweet Pea Society have their show at Harlow Car Garden on the 13th and 14th, and then also up in the northwest, it's the Tatton Park Flower Show from the 17th to 21st. Little mention too to my local flower show, our village Gallywood Horticulture Society have their show on the 13th of July. A real community event that is. Be nice to see the kids with their vegetable sculptures. My thanks to Sutton Seeds of Torquay, sponsors of this podcast, and thanks to you for listening. Enjoy your garden. We'll be back next Thursday. Discover more at sungardening.co.uk. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.